Just a little housekeeping on the sermon. Uh, I had titled it, uh, No Neutrality. And uh, on Monday, as uh, I was looking over this passage, my, my eyes fell upon verse 23. In fact, it was fixed there like a laser, where it says, Whoever is not uh, with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so that was my original plan, is to make a beeline to that passage, because that is something that uh, we in our relativistic days need to hear. Um, I know Jimbo's going to be disappointed, because that is the passage that God used to bring Jimbo to faith in Christ, but uh, I'll be able, I hope, to get to it um, um, next week or the week after. Uh, So instead, uh, I realized that we need to also talk about spiritual warfare um, that is uh, put before us in verses 14, 15, and 16. And so uh, that's really where we're going to focus this morning on those three verses of Luke chapter 11. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding from your word. We pray that we would not only uh, hear with our ears and see with our eyes, but believe and trust and obey uh, with our hearts. Lord, I pray that... um, that you would lift up the Lord Jesus before us, because where he is lifted up, he has promised to draw all peoples to himself. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I have lived uh, over half a century. Um, It uh, certainly looks that way with my gray hair. I'm 53. And for 34 of those 53 years, Uh, Ever since I became a Christian in college, during my freshman year in college, uh, the the last 34 years I've kept a keen eye on the social trends as our society has strained uh, towards an ever more thoroughgoing uh, secularism. For years, the promise of secularism uh, was that our society would become more loving, that our society would thrive as we became more secular, more scientifically oriented, that our society would become more peaceful, where science determines truth and equality would thrive. Well, theologically, I knew that these, these ideals were empty promises because man is fallen. And that there is an evil that resides in every human soul. And our sin nature would preclude us from ever reaching some kind of secular utopia. In fact, as Christians, we'd expect that as our society becomes more secular, we become less loving, less united, and less peaceful. And right on cue... As secularism has picked up a pace in our country, our nation has become more totalitarian, less freedom-loving. People 
presume to tell us how we must think and what we must believe. People in government, people in society, the experts, the elite. This is how you are to act. This is how you are to think. This is what you can believe. Our nation has become, as a result of this, less peaceful as well. Gun sales are going through the roof because there is a general feeling of unease. A secular society will never be the panacea that we have been promised uh, for the last few generations. Not only does our fallen sinful nature uh, keep us from ever becoming a secular utopia, but there are also uh, satanic forces at work as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the real glory and grace of the gospel of Christ. So all the while that our society boasts um, that they have outgrown their need for God, they are in bondage to spiritual forces that keep, keep them blinded to the source of own, to the true source, the only source of truth, love, peace, and happiness. And of course, that true source is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Even if our society refuses to acknowledge it, there is a cosmic battle raging all around us. Ephesians 6 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a battle for the souls of individuals and families. The spiritual forces of evil, namely Satan, and the demonic powers are seeking to, des- to destroy the souls that Jesus Christ came to save. The only hope for our society is the church. I'll say that again. The only hope for our society is the church. Christ left us here on earth to be engaged in this spiritual warfare in order to do battle on behalf of the lost and the God-hating world. In our passage, our Savior lifts the veil so that we can see this unseen battle that we are commanded to fight in His name. And so, let's look at the passage. Verse 14, it begins with Jesus right in the middle of performing an exorcism, we could say. Right in the middle of casting out a demon from a man that was mute. In the case of this man, his inability to speak was entirely due to the demon possession. He didn't have some physical deformity It was a demon possession that kept him from speaking. There were no underlying physical issues. Let me say a word about this man's existence. Because I hadn't really considered too much what it must be like to be a mute person um, 
during um, during the uh, the time of the Lord Jesus. You know, they had not invented sign language at that point. Uh, plus, this man was very likely illiterate. Most of the most of the nation, most of the population was illiterate. So this man could not sit down and write a note uh, to tell someone his needs or to share with uh, someone his feelings. Uh, Matthew's gospel also noted that this man was blind. You know, this man must have felt like a prisoner in his own body. His inability to communicate also must have made it easier for people to ignore him. You know, he's blind. He's a mute. I've got other things to do. And you, you pass right on by. What a horrible existence. With the appearance of the Messiah in Judah, um, Satan unleashed his demonic forces among the people. I think there was an unusual number of demon-possessed people uh, in, during Jesus' day in the, uh, the land of Palestine or, or in, in Judah. Uh, and Jesus cast these demons out not only to validate his authority and uh, show that his kingdom has, had arrived because you know, where the king is, there is the kingdom. He's king. And so his kingdom has broken into the world. But Jesus also... Uh, cast out demons, healed those who were sick, uh, did other miracles uh, in order to demonstrate vividly what He does when He saves us from our sins. All of us, just like this mute here in our passage, are under the influence of Satan prior to our coming to Christ. I don't know if you've realized that. I don't know if you've thought that through. I don't know if you've thought that through for your loved ones or for people living in the world. Ephesians chapter, chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, fought, once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not only is our society, um, our society in general, blinded by Satan, but every person born into this world is a son or a daughter of disobedience. Every person born into this world, except for our Lord Jesus, maybe John the Baptist, he may have been, uh, it seems, regenerated before he was, before he was born. But every person born into this world was born in unwitting bondage to the prince of the power of the air. And so we need deliverance from Satan as badly as the mute in this, in this passage. When we hear people in our society talk about uh, the virtues of a secular society, 
there's usually a pride of sophistication that's often attached uh, to their comments. Um, I don't need Jesus. I believe in science. Christianity is the opiate of the people. It is a mistake to think that our unbelief is only about our opinions. Uh, There's no room for pride of sophistication. Every person who does not believe, by definition, is blinded by Satan so that he can put him or her into the service of sin. So don't be self-deceived. Don't be controlled by Satan like the mute here in this passage before he met the Lord Jesus. Flee to Jesus Christ right now. He's the Savior. If we were to continue looking on into verses uh, 21 and 22, He's the strong man who is able to disarm Satan and plunder his palace. The Lord Jesus is able to... He sends His Spirit into this world to take one who is blinded by Satan, one who is dead in their sins, one who is a son or a daughter of wrath, a one who is by nature a child of wrath. And he is able to regenerate them powerfully, make them into a new person, and give them faith to trust in him. Don't be self-deceived. Don't be satanically deceived. Come to the Lord Jesus right now. And please, repent of any pride of unbelief. That sophistication of secularism. Sophistication of science. We believe in science. We absolutely believe in science. But there is a philosophy of science that lies behind the science, an ungodly philosophy of science that brings with it presuppositions that frankly um, brings an air of religious devotion to the science that is being done in the secular world. But uh, I really can't dive into that subject right now. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not remain in bondage. As we move on from the uh, man, the mute man in verse 14, we're going to see er- further illustrations of the unseen spiritual battle that is raging for people's souls. These two groups of people, or there were two groups of people that, that illustrate perfectly Uh, This spiritual battle. They were rejecting the Lord Jesus. Verses 15 and 16. But some of them said. He cast out demons by Beelzebul. The prince of demons. While others to test him. Kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So the first group here. uh, According to Matthew's account. Of this same event. This first group were a group of Pharisees. And their hearts were hardened. Against Jesus. They witnessed the demon being cast out by the mute. They heard the mute man speak after the demon was cast out. And this mute was likely praising God. 
the first time he has been able to speak, either in his life or for some undetermined amount of time, the Lord Jesus, God's Messiah, cast this demon out of me. Now my tongue is free to be used for the purpose that God created it, to give praise to God. And that's what he's doing. He's not giving praise to Satan. He's giving praise to God. These Pharisees heard this man speak. And against all evidence to the contrary, they attributed this miracle not to God, but to Satan or to Beelzebul, the prince of demons. By using the name Beelzebul, the Pharisees were not just slandering Jesus, attributing uh, to Satan what Jesus was doing, but they were also trying to insult him, and I, I think in a very immature way. Uh, Beelzebul literally meant Lord of the Flies. Uh, in Jewish culture, you can read the Old Testament. If you know some of the Hebrew, you can you, you pick up on it. Um, the the Jewish people, uh, as as a people generally, uh, were very good at insulting people, and they would change the names of different people in the Old Testament to be uh, insults. And so, uh, you you notice the beginning here of Baal. Uh, the Baal, it, it was, um, they, they switched a few words around. It was supposed to be Lord Baal would be the, the, uh, the word, but they, the Jews switched it around so that Beelzebul literally means Lord of the Flies. Or, or switched it around even a little more and tweaked it a little more. It was the Lord of Dung. So, um, by calling saying that Jesus is doing this by Beelzebul, the, the, Jew, the Pharisees were trying to insult the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine slandering God to his face? Uh, I wonder if the Pharisees were trying to bait Jesus into lashing out. Um, if Jesus had displayed self-centered anger, at them because they're calling him Beelzebul, the Lord of the Flies, then they could have discredited him. You know, he got so angry at us. I'm sure you have viewed some of these videos that have been out there. I've viewed uh, many of them uh, myself where the, the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters invade a restaurant and they start screaming at the people while they're eating a meal. And I've been amazed, frankly, at the self-control of most of the people as they are called hateful and racist uh, while their meal is being disturbed. And I've even watched people reach down and grab their, their beer off the table and drink it or spit in it. And uh, it's obvious that the Black Lives Matter protesters in going in in such an and and trying to provoke, um, it 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 appears that they are trying to bait the restaurant goers into to reacting violently against them, instead of being baited into an angry response uh, by the Pharisees. Here, Jesus loved those hardened Pharisees, and he sought to bring them to himself. I just think. How difficult must that have been to 
to, to be the Lord of glory and to be called the Lord of flies. And of course, the Lord Jesus, motivated only by pure love, uh, did not get um, carried away by, uh, by self-centered rage uh, in the least, but just the opposite. So that's one group. Then there was a second group uh, of people who were rejecting Jesus. They were not as provocative as the Pharisees. Um, verse 16 says, While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now Jesus addresses these people. He doesn't address them uh, directly until verse 29, which is two or three weeks away. Uh, so we'll get to them uh, but I'm simply going to point out that they had a sign from heaven performed for them right in their midst. Jesus cast this demon out of a man who was mute, and the man presumably began praising God. Uh, plus, they had heard of Jesus' uh, Jesus's other miracles. Had Jesus not done enough miracles for them? Their skepticism and rejection of Jesus was not a lack of willingness on Jesus' part to perform signs from heaven. The problem was their unwillingness to receive Jesus. It's just stunning here. Jesus cast this demon out and they're saying, we need to see more signs from heaven. The Pharisees' hard-heartedness and the skeptic's unwillingness to believe demonstrates the power of human prejudice. It shows the degree by which we can be controlled by our own biases, by our own presuppositions. They saw the miracle with their own eyes, but they refused to believe. They refused to receive Jesus. The truth was looking them right in the face, and they could not and would not see it. Why were they so blind to the power and the identity of Jesus Christ? Satan had blinded them. That's the reason they were blind. The veil remained over their faces, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. They were standing in the presence of Jesus. But as Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, they could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Even though he was standing in their midst, even though he was performing a miracle right in front of their eyes. These hardened Pharisees and these sign-seeking skeptics, I was worried if I would make it through that uh, little phrase. Uh, the sign-seeking skeptics illustrate for us that there is indeed a spiritual battle that is going on for the souls of people. Andrew's seen it, I'm sure, at the uh, University of South Florida. You know, it does not matter how many arguments we present or how cogent those arguments are. There is a supernatural power that is needed in order to remove the veil and open blinded eyes. Unbelievers are in bondage to Satan. All the evidence in the world, even witnessing a miracle performed by Jesus himself, 
will not convince an unbeliever to trust in Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can regenerate a person. It takes the Holy Spirit to move a person from unbelief to faith. It takes the Holy Spirit to move a person from rebellion to submission. It takes the Holy Spirit to move a person from self-indulgence to repentance. No matter how strong our arguments are, for us to be effective at all in the spiritual battle for souls that we are called to wage, we must be people of prayer. I think that's one of the reasons why Luke included this passage right after the teaching um, on prayer. Prayer is as important as the impartation of truth. It is important. It is as important as the proclamation of the gospel. Because we need the invisible, the hidden work of God in the heart for a person to to let go of their biases and their presuppositions. Their bias against God is more than mental. It's spiritual. Their hearts are hard and Satan is blinding them to the glory of Christ. Now, we must all use reasoned arguments. We can only reach the heart through the mind. In verses 17 through 22, Jesus used four different arguments to address the hardened Pharisees. We're going to skip those till um, later and come back to them. Uh, Not today. Um, What is the point of this passage as we draw towards the conclusion? Well, first of all, Let's ask the question, why did God find it important to include this incident in the Bible? Simply put, God wants us to understand that we are in a battle for souls. The Lord Jesus was in a battle for souls. He has left us here on earth to engage in this battle. Sometimes it's easy to to get um, get our priorities mixed up. The church is not just about services and buildings and budgets and programs. We are frontline soldiers in a spiritual battle against the powers of darkness. Christ has won the victory, but we must fight. You have loved ones who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Fight on your knees before the throne of grace. Do not give up. Ask Seek, knock. Or as Jesus literally said, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. The door will be opened. Satan, um, to make this uh, personal also to all of us, or this, this idea of the spiritual battle, Satan is an ongoing enemy for believers as well as for unbelievers. He's not just blinding the eyes of of unbelievers, but he seeks to devour and destroy Christians as well. Ultimately, he cannot, but he can make for us a lot of trouble. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How do you resist him? 
just like you do in the battle for the souls of unbelievers. You resist him on your knees. God, deliver me from temptation. We pray in the Lord's Prayer. Go, seek his face. He loves you. He has secured your victory through his death and resurrection on the cross. We're going to learn in the coming weeks that the Lord Jesus triumphed over Satan while he was suffering on the cross. You are fighting for a conquering king. You are fighting for a king who is already conquered. Go forth into battle with that certainty, knowing that the victory is yours in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to go on your knees and stay on your knees? Because the battle is the Lord's. It is a spiritual battle as we pray together. Lord Jesus, I do ask that you would help us to be a praying people. God, help us to be an asking, a seeking, and a knocking people. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be fearless in battle, knowing that you, our King, have already um, defeated Satan as you lead us onward to victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.